Hi, I'm Liz Stokel. And I'm Debbie Rude. We're Dancing with Skeletons. We know what it's like to keep our past hidden away, like skeletons in a closet. We also know the healing that comes from acknowledging who we used to be and how much we've learned. So every once in a while, we dance with our skeletons. So come dance with us. Good morning, Deb. And our guest. We have a lovely guest today. We do. Deb, why don't you introduce our lovely guest? I will. <laughs> our lovely guest. Today we have our friend Kate McKnight mm -hmm. with us, and um, we brought her in to talk about a specific topic. Um, but before we get to that, <laughs> I want to, well, we both saw her in the play that she was just recently in this last weekend, um, they did the the musical version of the movie Once. Right. Mm -hmm. And the movie Once came out in 2007. Correct. And if you didn't see the movie Once, you need to see it because it's a beautiful film. Yeah, I never it saw the movie. So I didn't even beautiful. know it was a movie. It's an so. absolutely beautiful film that I flipped out over and bought the soundtrack and listened to it over and over and over. So I knew all the songs Yay. for the most part. Um, <laughs> And so our friend Kate was one of the the uh, company members in, in the show. She did a fabulous job. Kate, yeah. it was so good. I'm so. I just means the world. I told both of you that you both came to this, took your time to be there, and have an audience people who I respect like the two of you so much. You know, as performers, musicians, actors, and. I'm super proud of what we did, and and I had it was challenging. I learned how to play the accordion for it, or semi play the accordion for it. I was <laughs> gonna say, Kate is exactly the same age as you and I are, yes, and yes. she is such an inspiration because you learned to play. Now you're not you're not uh, you are adept at music. You are, you have always been a yeah. singer. You read music. You you you've, yes. you've taught. You <laughs> yes. play piano. You. you you were my children's art, you know, part of my children's drama art teacher, world and drama world. teacher back in the day. Yeah. So you, this is all a part of who you are. But you had never played the accordion. No. <laughs> so it was something you learned to do. And as a 60-year-old woman, 60-plus-year-old woman, I'm so inspired by yeah, you. Thank was, you. Yeah. Well, I, I put this thing up in my profile thing of a, a check saying of course we all say the old you cannot teach an old dog new tricks i'm like hello wrong <laughs> i i truly tried and it was a str i'll be honest it was a struggle to learn it and also I had a short period of time to get up and to speed right but wonderful teacher i'll give him props larry Lindbergh, who teaches here at this very wonderful art school at the music school yeah um he was so generous and kind he lent to me that instrument it's okay. a chromatic uh Recording a smaller size, okay. and now I'm even buying it from him because I fell in love with playing it. Are you yes. really? And he's letting me make payments. I just talked to his wonderful wife about it. That's awesome. I, I'm just yeah, I'm just bowled over. I'm still coming down from it, but I'm really proud of of my own experience. But I loved yeah. everybody on it that was, stage. It was such a well done production. Yeah. I was just impressed with it all across the Thank board. You. Every person. All the transitions between the scenes and the way you guys started with that music and then it just morphed <laughs> yeah. right morphed into, into the, the show. show. Yeah. It was just so cool how you guys did that. Thank I, you. I yeah. loved it. So We did and steal the Broadway um, 
tradition was to have that little pre-show of, oh. as if we're buskers, and and then you in the Broadway show they had an actual bar on the stage. They'd bring people up and serve them a drink okay. as if they are coming out of a pub in in Dublin, oh, and then nice. the buskers are coming off the street and they play this Czech and Irish folk dance. Oh, that's so, so nice. but the direct our director Darren Tharp had a little different uh, his vision, but we stole that and that ending wonderful thing where Borushka gets to like do her funny. You thing. had a moment to stand yeah, on you. the stage I and love. own it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It was so funny. He's like, Kate, you've got to it do was short, that. But Take big. your moment. Take your moment. <laughs> yeah. So we all, and it was that sense of company. You said yeah. company a minute ago. Yeah. And I think yeah. that we were a company. We came together as a group. And even the leads never yeah. hold the lead I, dynamic. Nobody, I, I And I felt that. I felt like it really was an ensemble thing. Even though there were leads, yeah. Um, it didn't feel like someone was the star. It would all just worked. It was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love it. And Thanks you know, it's so those. much fun to be in a community, in a theater, an art community where you can watch actors grow up and become, you know, even more incredible than they were when they were young. And like your lead lead, if yes. you know, her name is Carly. Yes. And Carly she Oliver. and she played opposite my son in the show Amadeus. Oh, yes. You know, years ago. They were fabulous and, in and that. they were amazing in that. But that was nearly 20 years ago, nearly 20 years. And they were both teenagers. Barely 18. Barely. I think he was 17. I don't even know. She might have been 18. But Mm -hmm. she was so incredible in that. And so now to see her as a fully formed woman. And just, and she also came up to speed. You were telling us before we recorded, she had learned to play piano as a child, but came up to speed yes. to learn piano and right. to sing, which I didn't even know she was a singer, yeah. you know, because we've I've seen her in tons of plays, mm-hmm. never a musical. Yeah. Yeah. She, and She's I, never much gone out for them. And I yeah. was so impressed with her tone and her singing and stuff. And, of course, the other guy, um, Ted, Ted, who was the other oh, lead, he's been singing. Professional yeah. musician. Yeah, and, Ted, and yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a professional it, musician, and he's perfect. so handsome. They were so great together, too, weren't they? Perfect, perfect. casting. Yeah, oh, perfect. Yeah. Thank you both yeah. for, for your feedback. We, we're honored, and I'm honored by that. Thank That's you. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kate. So, and, and so uh, we're going to get into our topic today. So uh, over the last month, we've been kind of talking about mental health. We had mm-hmm. our good friend Meg mm-hmm. come on, who was our re- retired um, mental health... Uh, marriage and family mar- counselor. Yeah, mm-hmm. marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. And... Um, We've actually wanted Kate to be a guest uh, for the last year. Uh, September is traditionally uh, Suicide Awareness Month. Right. And we tried to work this out last year this in September, and here we are already in October, so we're, we're two weeks late. But, a year um, and two weeks. Uh, a year and two weeks late, yeah. That's all right. But, um, we are going to talk about, about suicide today, and so... Um, so take care. Take care if this is something that that affects you or you don't want to listen to this. Feel free to skip it. Um, but at the very least, please take care. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we will give some um, information at the end. If you if you yourself or know anybody who is in any kind of trouble in this way, we'll give um, a little bit of information about what you can do to to uh, to get help. Yes. Um, so Kate. Um, I know that you have some experience in this area, so so let's just get right into it and talk about your your journey with with 
someone with, we know with knowing something about something I didn't ever want to know as much as I think I know about and right. you will both understand this too from yeah. your experiences well the the person in, um, that that I will talk about is where it was very known to both of you and particularly also to Deb and, and someone she also loved at the time I was engaged to Andre Bush and um, a phenomenal brilliant musician and person father son partner and um, this was in 2014, and at the leading the lead into the story is that um, two weeks before our wedding uh, was to take place in July of 2014, I figured out kind of like just watching and having to see that all the the signs in front of me that he had a a relapse of a previous drug addiction, and he had been sober for so long, mm -hmm. he was near completed with his masters in depth psychology and that's the offshoot mm -hmm. of Jungian psychology mm -hmm. um, he was doing so well in that field he was still gigging teaching gu uh, guitar mm -hmm. and then again this is two weeks before our wedding uh, and I watched him and was figuring out something was really wrong you know like I, it wasn't just the nerves about his doing his oral exams and things I as he'd been saying he was nervous and I discovered you know the pills and things evidence and evidence yeah. and confronted him and then it all sort of fell apart that he'd been in full-blown addiction for at least at that point in time about six months mm -hmm. and to give another sort of um, a little part of the story is that this was at this point six months after the death of my mother um, who died at only 78 from pulmonary fibrosis so I was still grieving my mother mother's death and um but also also looking forward thinking we're going to get married and there were some positive things mm -hmm. so this uh this discovery put him of course full-blown need for um intervention uh, we called off the wedding or we were going to postpone the wedding and for a period of time a, a little less than a month he worked really hard at going to na meetings i would also attend uh, his mother and i attended a family uh, meeting for people who were addicts, and we all struggled to try to make sense of what was happening to help him and help ourselves. Right. And um, I, I had a sense that, you know, he was making some um, progress, but at the same time, in all honesty, I also felt he was severely, becoming more and severely depressed. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he would have me accompany him to his addiction doctors, uh, the MD that specializes locally. Uh, these appointments, and I would even beg this doctor, please give him antidepressants. And the doc at the time said it would not take, it would be a while so these things couldn't work because he was coming off of mm -hmm. uh, addicted to benzos. And so these things weren't going to really help his body at the time. But I was, I was, you know, I was worried. I was just worried about his, his yeah, right. well-being. Mm -hmm. He was seeing a counselor or a therapist, and we were grappling with the fallout of all of our, you know, everything, hopes and dreams and things sort of at that moment seemingly being crushed. And then um, the first week of August hit and I, looking back now, I saw that there might have been some indications that he was worse. Yet by the end of that first week of August, he also attempted to, this is what we'll get into, uh, seemingly outwardly that he was feeling better. And this is something to talk about with yeah, people who are yeah. suicidal yeah. and then he took his life on August 8th and 2014 and I discovered him uh, at our home and 
as you can imagine, for us, his immediate family, close friends and loved ones, it was, it's always shocking. You don't really, quote unquote, see it coming. Mm -hmm. Or if you do, you don't know unless you've been in the middle of this. And all the indications are still very hard for one to get their head around. Yeah. And so I've spent, you know, many years since, obviously, coming around. I can talk about it. I can remember him. But I, the days and years following that immediately were well, I'm not going to lie. They were devastating. Very hard. Know. You know, you mentioned his mom and you and, yes. and his mother had gone to these therapy sessions. And I just want to say his mom was an incredible support for him. Yes. She loved him so much. I think he was her only child. Yes. Yes. This is her only child. And she was a great woman. Yes. She was very involved in the community. She was a professor. She she was she was just a huge support. A, a dynamic a absolutely dy yeah. everything you both said. And saying. and she yeah. was and she loved him. Oh, and yes. she she did not from what I could see, um, didn't close doors. Mm -hmm. You know, she may have had her boundaries and all that kind of stuff, but she loved him. And he was he was very blessed to have it. And you know, when you have a child who is an addict, um, you know that love just doesn't go away. Absolutely not. And no matter what choices you make to to kind of protect yourself from what's going on, a mother's love of an addict is sometimes the only thing that gets them through. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, it's the most important thing, you know. And I know that his many. Um, relapses. I don't know how many he had, but his several relapses. I know that his mom was always there for him. Oh, and, absolutely. And I just want to yeah. just give her that mm -hmm. praise and yeah. that credit because I know how much, how hard she worked. Yes. And Sally Selsa passed away four years later, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, an illness that sh it shouldn't have happened. No, she died from it, sepsis. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that was another hor horrible loss. And of course, and then Andre had one child. Skyler, who lives in Seattle, doing beautifully, is married. Um, but here, here the you know, grand she's lost her father, and then later her grandmother. And it, this was, you know, a lot of devastating loss. But everything you're saying about Celso was just phenomenal woman. And she and I, and her husband Scott, Andre's stepfather, really did kind of bond together and and did our best for a while. We, I mean, all of us do. What do you do? You're just yeah. your fam your life has been torn apart in your right. heart. It's your been child's your heart flipped upside down. Yeah. Literally, yeah. literally, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Debbie, you have a few statistics on on uh, suicide that's right in front of you, and can mm -hmm. we just touch on a few of those? Yeah. So, um, you know, now these statistics are from 2021, mm -hmm. um, but um, in like 14, 14 people out of 100,000 individuals will take, took their life mm. in, in 2021. Mm. Um, the, the rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. Yes. Um, and uh, in 2021, men, men died by suicide 3.9 times more than women. On an average, there's 132 suicides per day. Oh my God! I know you hear that in this number. country. In, in this, this country, country? Mm -hmm. yeah. oh my God! White males account for sixty-nine percent of those. Yeah. Um, firearms are accounted for fifty-four percent of those. Right. Um, I I know that I know that in the LGBTQ community, the rate is high. I know in elderly communities it's high. Mm -hmm. I know in veteran communities it's high. Um, so there, there's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons 
Um, depression is usually up there on the top of the list. Schizophrenia mm -hmm. is is another very high reason, which is often misdiagnosed. Yes, very often. Uh, um, a lot of the mental illnesses have been misdiagnosed mm -hmm. often in, 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 and in suicides. And we don't have the, and we were talking about this with Meg, you know, there's not the systems in place to handle, you know, some of the root reasons why people do have mental illness or to even find what the, what the mental illness actually is, right. you know, we're just kind of quick to diagnose and um, trauma, bullying, and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. are those are the main reasons yes. um, yeah. so you know now we're 2023 the, the pandemic we saw those rates go go up, go up exponentially um, so yeah it's it's you know it's very interesting that you talk about middle-aged men as being you know 69 percent of mm -hmm. suicides are middle-aged men I mean middle-aged white men that's that's a, that's a, lot. That's a, that's a lot. lot and when you consider our conversation with Meg where she talked about the pull yourselves up by your bootstraps kind of mentality right. it's it's kind of easy to see how men who have that macho pull yourself up by your bootstraps mm -hmm. kind of um, growing up teachings mm -hmm. and indoctrinations. And when they are battling depression, when they are battling a job loss or a career loss right. or a devastating physical diagnosis, mm -hmm. I can see why that depression might completely, um, you know, isolate them and right. bring them down. Because here's the thing, they have been taught that they are the, you know, to take the club and go out and they're the breadwinner and they're this and they're that. And when they no longer have the ability to do that, right. I can understand that kind of devastation. Right. And I, I think we need to be really sensitive. You know, we worry about the unhoused and we worry about the addicts, but I think that there's a lot to be said about kind of protecting the men in our lives mm -hmm. a little bit and encouraging them and finding ways to, you know, men don't necessarily have community the right. way the right. way women That's often do. Yeah, they're least likely to go and to seek, um, to seek um, help, psychological help yeah. and, and to talk and be open about it. But I think that's what was so even more mysterious, troubling and just shocking about Andre's death is that he was in the middle of seeking becoming in a career of working with others and yeah. and was uh, when you were getting your master's and junior work to become any type of licensed therapist you have to have so many hours yourself of your own therapy right, right. so he'd been going to um, a, a therapist for a period of time and I was you know we're aware of that right. and then I think he, then he was also doing his internship with at Salvation Army with former addicts get this mm -hmm. this is the another irony upon irony of this whole of this life, his life, was that he was working to develop what would be what he was going to take music, music therapy, but it'd do a little slightly different version of music therapy. That once they would play like in a little rock band, and then he would sit, then you talk with them about what how their dopamine levels were oh. changed. So you do a before sort of talking mm -hmm. with them, they play music, and then what what they would then talk about their experiences after. He was doing all this active work all this time period in the midst of his own addiction, relapse, and then through the time leading up between the, um, when that was discovered to his own suicide. So here's someone in the middle of getting help 
and trying to help. Yes. And, giving and, help. and giving yeah. help. And giving help. But his mother and I really came down to this conclusion that he was much more mentally ill probably most of his life, including his adult life, that he would ever had never been properly diagnosed. He was um, someone who would often operate under the guise of outwardly I'm fine, even a little bit of hubris, as we all know about him. Mm -hmm. And he pretty much, and he admitted to me that he did not talk honestly with his psychologist, psychiatrist during that time period, that before he had a relapse and during he never. So I would go, I just poured over, after his death, poured over books, the DSM, just like, what was really going on with this human being? And I, you know, my thought was, I came up with like, okay, maybe he was a borderline personality disorder, a narcissistic person. A lot of things fit. Mm -hmm. And that ability to sort of actually manipulate others around you he was not okay. Another he was thing, not okay. Another thing about Andre is that everything that he did, he did 5,000%. So I know that when he was a, a younger person, he was a cyclist. Yes. And he was like a, you know, in his age category, he was like number one in the nation for a minute. That kind of thing. And then he decided he's going to play the guitar. And he was a Grammy-nominated guitarist. (laughs) Exactly. Everything Andre did was just balls to the wall. Just got to be the best and was the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I I knew that about him. And I thought, I I know another person who took their life, a a young woman, um, very early on in my life. And I think... You know, I, I'm, I'm going to read some of these things, and the, the signs to watch for, but both of these two individuals mm-hmm. did not exhibit exhibit these signs. So I was going to tell you, I, actually, yeah. most of those I somewhat reject. I'm interested to have you read them, yeah. but I want to talk about yeah. them because I think they have steered a lot of people to not understand suicide. And, then, right. and the signs are really usually not the I, ones that are I, quoted. I, I don't I understand think, it. I think you're absolutely right. And yeah. that's why I want to yeah. read that because yeah. because I think the other thing, and we touched on it a little bit with Meg, but, you know, suicidal ideation. I mean, I think there's a lot. And when I'm reading this, I go, well, that, I, I thought that. I said that, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I am not suicidal, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But I can see, I can see why. See, Andre was brilliant. He was smart as F-U-C-K. <laughs> he was. And yeah. Oh, yeah. he could, oh, yeah. he knew how to fake. Yeah. And yeah. manipulate everyone around yeah. him. Yeah, yeah was. absolutely. He was. And that's what he did up until even the day of his own. He took his life. That's what right. I mean. Yeah. He, yeah. he was, because he was a brilliant, sensitive, creative. Right. You know, I'll never forget sitting at his, I know this is kind of, you know, jumping ahead to the, we all know he passed away, obviously, but I remember sitting at his funeral, and we sat at a table with some other musicians, and one of them who has who had played with Andre from the time Andre was a young man and for years and years and years. And so somebody got up on the stage and who had been a roommate of Andre's back in the, Mm -hmm. back when they were in college or living. Yes. Yeah. And he told some very funny stories about Andre and and some of the things that he, some of the antics, right? And just 
and it made everybody laugh and it made everybody just, you know, see a side of him that maybe some of us didn't even see. And so I remember this older gentleman, he leans over to me and he goes, I feel so cheated. I feel so cheated because I didn't know that guy. Uh, You know, for as long as I've been playing with him, he's been on a a roller coaster of addiction, you know, kind of thing. And he said, I feel so cheated because there was so much more I could have known. And should have known. humor, which he was really funny, too. Yeah. Right, yes. right. Yeah. And I just thought, you know what, that's what that's what I think a lot of us suffer from when somebody dies prematurely, whether it's by accident or, or, by, or, their or by their own hand, yeah. is that, you know, we feel cheated because we have missed out on the fullness of who that person was. Absolutely. And, and he was a, full, a fully formed human, and there was so much about him that I would have loved to have known more about. Yeah. So I'm going to read a little bit more of this. Um, so, so, you know, who is at risk for suicide? Okay. This is, this is all information from, from the, um, it's called the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, older adults, like we just mentioned, people 65 years and older have the highest rate of suicides of any age group. Contributing factors are unrelated to, untreated depression, Mm -hmm. death of loved ones, chronic illness, loneliness. Persons aged 15 to 24, suicide is the third leading cause of death in this group and accounts for 20% of all deaths annually. Mm. Suicide risks factors for teenagers include depression, alcohol and drug abuse, a recent traumatic event, availability of a gun, and exposure to other teens who have committed suicide. Yes. This is interesting. Males, of those who attempt suicide, the completion rate for men is four times higher than of women. However, women attempt suicide two to three times as often as men. Men who are 85 years of age and older have the highest rate of suicide. So the elderly community, and I think it's because a lot of them are isolated. There's no family. They don't, but so this... This, this list that we just talked about, mm-hmm. the, some of these signs, okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, things to watch for. And again, the two people that we're talking about didn't necessarily exhibit this. Exhibit yeah. this. And right. so I think that's really, really critical in this conversation. Verbal suicide threats such as, you'd be better off without me. Well, I've said that. <laughs> yes, many of us think that sometimes. <laughs> I just, I'm a pain in the ass. I know, I know. <laughs> Okay, lack of interest in future plans. Reference to unbearable feelings of hopelessness. Saying goodbye to family and friends. Giving away prized possessions. Increasing withdrawal and isolation from family and friends. So... Well, do you want me to start with some of those and so, debunk some so, of those? So, <laughs> yes. So well, know. yes. I don't mean to laugh. I, mean, I, I think we're like, why are they laughing? No. Well, you have to have, we have to like have some, we had to laugh because it's it's rueful laughter, right? Because yeah. you go, because we do think these yeah, things. I know. And I also, know. I know. but this has been something that's been somewhat, these things have continued to be, perpe- I say, perpetuated by those, even who study, and but... Almost everyone, I, I got to encounter a lot of parents and people whose children had taken their lives when I attended the suicide uh, anonymous what, group. And, I'm really and I, glad you know, you did I went that. to a lot of different groups and I talked to a lot of people and I've done a ton of reading. 
But the giving away of things, you know, that's just hardly ever. Everyone I spoke to, they don't remember that. They might have saying, oh, yeah, that you, you look good in that. But that's not almost, that's not everyone. No, not everybody exhibits these things. Right. Right. The, the statement thing about you better off with me. I do remember Andre, um, maybe about five or six days before he took his life, he was saying things like, I've just, you know, just so hard for me to, you know, keep it together or go on. So he was saying things. So I'm I'm going to admit that right now. And yeah. he said some things to his mother, too, and she had told me about that. So yeah. there were these things, but it's not like I am going to go and take my life. You don't yeah. hear those statements. So when you hear these things, you'd be better off without me. The first response is, oh, we, I, we love you. And you, you mm-hmm. don't see it as... No one wants an actual threat. Uh And I think that's human nature to not, just can't go to that dark place. Now, if someone were to do some of these things, I would be thinking a lot differently. Mm -hmm. The saying goodbye, there was no saying goodbye. And I'll tell you why a lot of these things don't happen. When someone is really bent on taking their life, and this is the scary thing, Mm -hmm. they don't want you to know. They want to throw you off the track. Mm -hmm. Case in point, Andre went and got his hair cut the day he took his life. Now, as someone who's going to leave the earth, going to go get their hair cut, he, you know, all took care of his hair. So, okay, so think about this. None of that doesn't fit any of these things. He was going to go see his mother and bought a sandwich to go have lunch with her. That might have been the saying goodbye, um, but no one goes, I'm not thinking, oh, this day he woke up and he's got, he looks really upset. I better stick next to right, him. Right. So this is the scary thing, I think, for family and friends. And I think why it's so suicide is so either misunderstood or so frightening and shocking is that you don't really have a sense it's going to happen no. when they go. Well, because he doesn't want he doesn't want us to stop him. He did everything to make us not know for sure that he had this plan. He'd made his plan by that afternoon. Well, and I have heard, and you have sort of reiterated it right here, is that people who have a plan are suddenly lighter. He was. They're lighter. Absolutely. They're happier because they know that their time in this darkness is about to end. Really? Yes. I, I he was. Okay, he so seemed very in good spirits. That's something that I didn't yeah. know. Although yeah. now that you're saying that, when I think about the, so I had a stepsister who took her life. So I was, I was about 28, 20, 27, 28. Uh, my daughter wasn't born yet. Zach was little. So she was 22, and she, she actually um, told everybody that she was going to do it. Mm. Oh, gosh. She, wow. told, she told all the family she was resolved. Nobody believed her. Of course. Which is what, yeah. Of course. Nobody believed her. She, yeah. she actually called the suicide hotline, had been in communication with suicide hotline. <clears throat> she told, she asked my mom to, to not tell my sister and I now, this has been so long ago now that I may be not remembering this exactly right. But Your mom would have been her stepmother. My mom was her stepmother, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, her name was Yvette. And um, asked Yvette to not tell my sister and I because I think mm-hmm. she knew that my sister and I would have tried to... I don't... Again, nobody took her seriously. This is very typical, and it still happens to this day. Yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody really heard her, and it was because 
She, she had mental illness. Mm -hmm. She was getting treatment. Um, and, but she had a very specific plan and carried it out. And, and when you mentioned the thing about being lighter, when my, and I remember my mom saying, when they talked to her on the phone, it was just like, yeah, this is what I've decided to do. And um, I'm really, I'm good with the decision. Just like I'm going to go get lunch. I'm going to the store. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. And that just now is the first moment I'm going, huh, yeah, she, there was a light, lightness. The, the, the pain is going to end the, is what yes. they see. The pain the is going to end. But I think the other thing that I, I'm thinking back to Andre that day, it's almost like he was not, he was just not himself, though. He was like a, he was almost like low affect, kind of smiling, this weird, like almost like a haze. Mm -hmm. I can't even really, just, I wish I could describe it more to you. But it was just sort of, he wasn't saying a lot of words. He would just smile, like, because I, I was going to go, I went to see a play at Woodward Shakespeare Festival that night, and I was going to go with a friend of mine. And I said, there's some chicken in the refrigerator and leftovers. And he's like, he's just not, smiling, nodding, yeah have a, you know, nice time, and he just, he seemed so calm, and you know, like he'd seen his mother that day, he said he had had a nice time with her, and he, his hair was all beautifully trimmed, and, but it was like, I'm looking back, it was like this was like a possessed person, and I don't, am I even talking about, yeah, like, I believe I, in I, possessions, I, I, I but he was not him, that yeah. was not him at that point. Did you feel like, huh? I, I, I thought, but I would, all I took that as, Oh, I could go to this play and feel okay. I, I did not worry. I didn't feel any worry. And I hadn't even been thinking about that I was on suicide watch with him. Right. But he was, made, he made me feel like, it's okay for you to go to this. I understand you want to go do something. You don't want to sit around me. It's depressing and hard here. But so he was all just very calm and smiling. But he wasn't saying a lot of words. He was lying on our bed. He was reading. Turned out later, his Narcotics Anonymous Five Steps, the, the 12 Steps book oh, for gosh. Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. So I thought, oh, he's reading, he seems relaxed. But this was all because he wanted me to get out the door. He, And if I had said I wasn't going to go or if he'd done anything to make me worried, I wouldn't have gone. He would not have been able to carry out his plan. So that's where the survivor's guilt. Yeah. But don't forget, he wanted to make sure I wasn't worried enough to stay home. Mm -hmm. right. And he's right. the, so this is why it's so frightening, I think, for any loved one or friends of someone, because often you are, the, the, the very person does not want you to stop them. Right. They've made their plan and they go out of their ways to look, make you think they're okay. I know. But they're not even oh. themselves because there's no way if he had had, if he has, was not in the middle of some deep depression, still coming down the withdrawals from this, yeah. from his drug addiction, there's no way he'd leave behind his daughter, his yeah. mother, no. me. No. So right. I try to explain to people that they are not, they're, they're, they're just become a shell of themselves. They are in some deep, it's almost like a psychosis at that point, and yet they are have enough, they have enough consciousness to not want people to be worried that they want to complete their act. Right. But then the guilt comes later because then you are filled like you're supposed to have known it and stop them. Right, and there's and there's, know. let's be clear, there's no way 
that anyone can know when you yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think you make a very yes. good point, too, because, it, you know, in the Christian tradition, um, which I have been to funerals of, there's a, a very dear young man in our family. About seven or eight years ago, he took his life, and he had dated my daughter when they were teenagers. He had been in our home. He had spent the night. He was, he was somebody who had been in and out of addiction. When he was in addiction, I let him come into my home mm -hmm. because I knew that he needed a safe place to be. Yes. I knew that that's what he needed. And his family, you know, he had burned a lot of bridges. So he didn't stay with us for very long, but he would stay with us for a night here and a night there, that kind of a thing. And we'd known him since he was 15 or 16 years old, and now he's 28, something like that. And, you know, he, um, he was somebody that was so near and dear to us. And he was raised a Christian. So I remember going to his funeral, and of course his mom was just completely like, my son is in hell, he's, you know, he's burning for eternity, that system. kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I there is, belief about yeah, so yeah. there is a very, there's a, there's a, not only a guilt about what they've done, but there's a guilt about where they're spending eternity. Mm -hmm. But what you said was very, very profound, and that is that Andre was not himself. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, it's like he was no longer he, in his body. Wasn't. That's right. And I believe the same thing about our different Steve. I don't think Steve was in his body yeah. at the time that he did Absolutely that. I don't do. think that anyone who takes their life yeah. is themselves. Thank you. This is what I was hoping we would talk about today, if nothing else, because what's one of the things that people say? They start then talking about that person saying, oh, that was a selfish act. Selfish. But they sinful. Are not, no. Yeah. Selfish or sinful. Now, yeah. those are two. One is a judgment of the from taboos and religious and cultural belief, right? Right, right? The other one is a total misunderstanding of that this person would have had some moment and they're selfishly doing this thing to hurt other they. They, no, they wouldn't have done this if they were still healthy yeah, enough absolutely. to know what they were no. about to do. Absolutely. So that's the other frightening thing that I, I, even when I've had my own, I've had some situational depression off and on during the years, I thought, I was like, please don't get to the point, Kate, that you were so dark that you don't know enough to let yourself get to that point. Right. Because then you are no longer this conscious being that can say, I'm really down, but to go that dark place, right take somebody being beyond themselves. Be beyond themselves. Right. Yes. Right. And I think that is one of the uh, number one misunderstood I, things about, and, and like, about suicide. And like you just said, people are so, so quick to judge somebody, so quick to judge somebody without actually taking even a breath to go, right. what could it have been like in that person's shoes? Mm -hmm. What things in their life could mm -hmm. they possibly have dealt with? What traumas? What was their childhood like? How mm -hmm. were their parents? Yeah. What, what, I mean, what led just, to this moment? What yeah. led to this moment? I mean, even, even the addiction piece with our friend Andre, people are so quick to judge addiction. Yes. They're yeah. so quick to judge right. it. And it pisses me off. Absolutely. Because I know. That's a huge problem right there. And uh, all of us here understand this uh, in a way that they, a lot of people don't. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. And, I wish and they did. I <laughs> wish people would take yeah. two seconds to take a breath and go, you know, what could be a reason why a person would want to numb their pain and then their body gets physically addicted right. and now the cycle mm -hmm. of addiction is there. Mm -hmm. People don't just go, yeah, 
I'm going to be an addict. I'm right. going to be an alcoholic. It's a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot that. more complicated yeah. than that. And our world judges people. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. Well, and Absolutely. it started so many years ago in the 60s and 70s, the tough love mentality was just running rampant. Right. And there were so many parents who were who were told that when your child is, you know, naughty, when your child's addicted, when your child is mentally ill, whatever it is, shut the door, change the locks, show tough love, mm-hmm. tough love. And I just want to say loud and clear, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Mm -hmm. The opposite of addiction is community. Mm -hmm. And as you keep the door open, you limit uh, how uh, devastated a family can be by addiction. Mm -hmm. And so I know it's hard. I know it's hard to let them come home. I know it's hard to have an addict living in your house that steals your stuff. I know. Mm -hmm. I know because I have been there. But I am telling you that when you let them come home, you you raise the possibility Mm -hmm. of healing. And Andre certainly had all that. He had people who let him come home. So I'm not saying it's going to stop suicide. I'm just saying that it is a key. It is a um, one of the healing blocks uh, towards mm-hmm. uh, sobriety is community. Community is one of the things that helps us heal. But understand that when the soul of a person is gone, whether through mental illness or through addiction or through abuse, those kinds of things, then then the fact that they take their life is not them. It's right. not it's them. Not it is the shell of them yes. that makes that decision. So please understand that. And have compassion for, for the whole the whole community around them. The family in this instance did not we did not shun we didn't close the door right. on him. But this is where I want to also get in some honest real talk. And this is where the survivor guilt comes in. Because, you know, yes, his mother still gave him love, his stepfather. His daughter and I had very difficult time. Boundary. Right? Mm-hmm. So when we discover that he is a, a relapse, the first thing is like, they make that choice again to use again. And it, he admitted finally to me that he began using right around the time my mother died. Oh, wow. Okay, so now you have anger. Right. I right. have anger. Yeah. I have anger at this person. I love him. I wanted him to be well. I... I didn't just kick him out the door of the house we were living in. I drove him to his appointments for um, detox and his doctors and his therapy. Uh, but the anger was enormous. Because when you needed him the most, yeah. he, he reverted was, to his old yes, ways as opposed using, to being there for you. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His daughter who had already gone through him having been, had to leave the home in, in his, with his first wife, his, you know, his, the, the mother, mother of his daughter. Mm-hmm. She went through all this at age six and watching all this felt completely, as I felt, like he had sabotaged our family. We had a little family together. When yeah. she And she and I had bonded. We were She was so excited about our wedding. So, yes, we understand intellectually everything right. you just said. And yeah. there was still love given. But I have to say the anger was growing. Absolutely. So, and that is real. So when you have that anger there yeah. and then someone then takes their life, what is that? When do you think later? My anger was Me. a part of that, yeah. caused that. And I, yeah, so I get emotional. Okay. I 
know that there are moments, and I was I was in therapy, and some of the advice I was given not to blame anyone was right. to was to take care of my own self too. Right. Right. And again, I had no thought in my mind this man was going to leave the earth, but I he would keep asking me every day, well, "Will you still we'll still be getting married someday?" And I'm like, I cannot make that promise to you. Um, we're still going to be a couple after I'm well. Andre, I'm here now with you. Get well for the sake of your daughter. You and I will go fall out where we're going to be. I'm always going to love you and be your, with you. But but you're saying you don't love me. You don't want to be. I couldn't promise him. Of course he not. He was desperate to hold on to hope. And that's the thing mentioned about hopelessness. So when his daughter didn't want to come over and when I told him that, this was something also that this it feeds into something. Absolutely. Now, did that we cause him to take his life? No. Hell no. But later, the feeling of what we said and did always just, just constantly is torments, it's tormenting. I was tormented by what words I said or didn't say, my actions of what I did or didn't do. And his mother also suffered greatly. Mm-hmm. He had turned out later, I didn't know this until she finally told me, he went to see her not once but twice on the day that he took his life. Oh. Yes. He went, got his hair cut, went over there. Oh, no, he went to see her first earlier in the morning and um, just visited with her and said, I'm going to go get a haircut. Then he decided to go back later and with sandwiches to have lunch with her. And he, he told her at the time, oh, I just decided I wanted to come back. And her response to him when he was saying at that moment on that Friday, and she's no longer with us, so I can share this, was he was saying, you know, I'm, I am been feeling like I'm just worthless and I don't know about how I should, why I'm even walking around was that she she did actually do you sort of brought up some biblical mm-hmm. things for him mm-hmm. and talked about God and his purpose. And so later she talked a lot about how that she knew she felt like she didn't say the right things. So mm-hmm. but again you only don't know you yeah. you say what comes from you, what's yeah. normal, what yeah, loving. Yeah, yeah. But I think I just wanted to say in all honesty that I spent a lot of time first angry before and then I was first devastated and I was upset and sad. And then I went through probably a couple of years of, of just damning him. I raged daily for a long time about what he had done. And that law that is because it put his daughter into a terrible tailspin and mental illness herself. And she had to be committed to um, several facilities. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was this young 12-year-old girl suffering like this, I couldn't help but be angry at him. Yeah. But I couldn't express that to his mother. I could only I could only talk to a yeah. couple of close people. Yeah. There was not a lot of safe places to go to yeah. talk about the anger we feel when someone does this. Right. And but I didn't let anybody else say bad things. I didn't want anybody else to say to me, oh, he was so selfish, what a bad person. I wanted to be able to say it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, absolutely. Like the, okay, yeah, the, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Yeah. We're good. Oh, Keep going. The police, yeah. the, okay, so the police chaplain, the night I called my son Logan to be with me after you know, discovering Andre, the police come. This is the ignorance, Stephen, still within a community like a, a force like this. Mm-hmm. The female police chaplain started in on that the suicide is a selfish act. Oh. 
sit, I'm on the no. couch in shock with my son next to me holding. I'm, I'm like, white. But you don't say that at that time. This is still the loved one. They're gone. She thought that was helpful. And I remember thinking, I should go and I'll become a public speaker of these people. <laughs> but, well, I mean, but I mean, you know what I mean? That, speaks, just... that speaks to uh, what I would like my second to career to be. Is, which, yes. is a, which, in, which is to be an interfaith chaplain for hospice and these kinds of things. I think yeah. it's needed. It's Some needed. needed. You have to give yeah. compassion to both the survivors yeah. and the one who's, whatever way they die. Absolutely. But suicide, again, how misunderstood is it? That, to me, is another example of, of how misunderstood. Of, of, of ig- yeah. ignorance. It's ignorance. Not, not intentionally No, being, no. She thought she was saying something. Right. 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 But, again, I went on to have my own feelings and thoughts of, and this is irrational, out of pure emotion, of, of this, how how could you do that? I'd rage at him. But I know deep down, it was not, I I know that it wasn't really him, right, yeah. at that point. I yeah. understand, I know why, well, I guess I know, quote unquote, why he took his life. But I I had to go through my own hurt and anger, but I didn't want a police chaplain telling yeah. me that. Well, also, okay, you know? this, this would explain the complexity of human emotion and how, on the one hand, you can be pissed off, but on the other hand, you can be compassionate, and you can be understanding, and, and you can be understanding and loving and pissed off all in the same Absolutely. moment. Right. Yes, right. every right. single one you of those know, simultaneously, yeah. Yeah. All, all at once, and twenty-four hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're on on loop. On yeah, loop. on loop. Yeah, and one day yeah. it might be more anger, and the other day it might be more yeah. sadness. But it's all in this big complexity yeah. of being human and I know. trying to figure out an, an unimaginable, yeah. unexplainable thing. But, you know, this is the thing. Have you heard, you've heard this saying many times. Suicide is that permanent solution to a temporary, temporary problem, problem mm-hmm. right? So I, I kind of started for a while reading as much as I could about suicide. And, and, you know, on an intellectual level and also just wanting to, like, pieces of the puzzle poured through things that he'd written, poured through books and things that he, you know, what was going on. And I, I still feel like... Again, if he if he'd only he, they don't know at that time what they're going to leave behind, which is a pile. Can I say a bad word? Yeah. Pile yeah. of shit. Yeah. You I leave. S- you I take your life. You leave. You spell the F-U-C-T. That's right. That's right. Thank you. So this this is not to damn them, but you leave behind a pile of shit. The people left behind are left suffering. They're no longer suffering. No. And I say, bless you. You're no longer suffering. Good for you. You're lucky. What about your daughter? What about your mother? What about you know? So it. It is this horrible thing where if you can find a way, if you could tell that someone really is in crisis, and I just, I'm not even sure, though, how much some of these preventative things really help people. I think, yes, they can if you're caught at the right moment. Yeah. If that person's open to help, if yeah. there's still a little bit of the shred of their real, of their real self, self in them. Left. Yeah. But I am sorry to say this. This may not be what we wanted to say here today. I think sometimes the awful thing about suicide we cannot always understand is that people who want to go are going to find a way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, an 85-year-old taking his life, do we want to judge it between a 15 or 45-year-old manic Andre with a daughter versus an 85-year-old? Right. I don't know. I mean, maybe we look at understanding people with right. we, we have assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, may, you know, probably a lot more of the elderly uh, community taking their life might be centered around having a terminal illness and don't want to go into old age 
or leave or feel like they're going to be burdening their family yes, with right. care, aftercare, and long-term care, and right. those kinds of... Which we know, those are devastating things Those are devastating right things, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, and the other thing, too, is how to care for those left behind, because I know a, a dear friend of ours took his life after battling brain cancer, oh, and obviously oh. he wasn't himself, because he had gone through this horrible... His brain, his brain had yes. been very affected by yes. the trauma, and so he had brain cancer cancer and he took his life. Um, when the family told people that he had died, they said it was cancer related, quote unquote. Oh, interesting. They would not address the suicide because they felt like they would be judged mm -hmm. because it was a very, dad was a pastor, mom, you know, there was a very, there was a stigma to the suicide. Yes. So my first thought was how sad that they are not getting the support or that they don't believe that the support that they need is out there. People are going to rally around them and give them support because they lost their loved one to cancer, right. but they wouldn't rally around them Bingo. in Bingo. the same kind of support. Thing to talk about because for sure. of suicide yes. Yes. and his son I will never forget I was at his son's thesis reading when he graduated when he graduated from college and his dad wasn't there and his dad yeah. wasn't there yeah. and his thesis was about a um, he, he wrote this he was an MFA student so it was creative writing mm -hmm. and so he had written about suicide land oh, wow. and it was as if he was on um, going from ride to ride and how every one of these rides took him to a different place wow. and a different emotion Incredible. and he his visit to suicide land and I just sat there and wept because I thought gosh I hope he is getting the support that he needs I hope his family has gotten the support that they need and when we are afraid to give support I know that as a mother of you know teen Teenagers that were addicts, I did not get the support because there's a there's a stigma to addiction, oh, gosh, yes. but there's also mm -hmm. a stigma to suicide Completely. and yeah. people and, and mental people illness. and mental all illness. Put those all together, all and people together. do not bring casseroles to people who lose people in suicide. They bring them to people who's suffering with cancer. Yeah. And so, if you want a casserole, tell everybody your loved one died of cancer, mm. not of suicide or an accidental overdose, which is what at first um, um, Andre his mother and and his daughter's mother wanted her to believe right that she's only you know 10 years right, old 12 of years course. old so that was the th the thing was let her believe that her father died related to drugs and right. she took it as a, as an addiction meanwhile half the community has been told or found out that he died by suicide so we're at his memorial service and I'm like half the room knows what happened half yeah. the room doesn't by that point we had actually told um Skyler, at the time Sophia, the truth, but his mom did not want to acknowledge us. I actually alluded to the fact that he took his life. She, that's the only time Celsa's ever been upset with me. And I, you know, I felt bad about it, but I did say, well, this is also still my story to tell. It's not that I don't love his mom. Yeah, you yeah, cannot yeah. lie yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. That means that she's saying somehow she's at fault or I'm at fault right. to hide by this. He, we lost him. That's the bottom That's line. That's the bottom line. And, and we're all suffering. But to lie, this is the thing. And this is only just not even 10, just about 10 years ago. It's we're still shame, lying. Kate. Yeah. It's it shame. We put yeah. shame on people yes. who suffer from 
mental illness, and that yeah. is not fair. Yeah, that is not fair to I the know. survivors. Well, that's the thing. She's a highly she's a highly educated woman. His yes. mother, right, yes. and worked in this yes. field with special education. She understood all this. She had gone through his own his addiction, but the shame she felt about his suicide was huge. And all of us. But I'm like. I am not going to be up here lying because that means I'm a culprit. I am culpable to the idea that I'm somehow responsible, that I caused his suicide. So we, we got past it and she began to understand the need and why we need to be open. Yeah, it good. was still very difficult for her even until I, her death. I was close with Selsa as well and we don't have time. Yeah, I'm I, sorry I, I got no, us on no, track. No, it's all good. good. But, but I, just, yeah. I, I had some very telling conversations with her afterwards as well that that made me have some deeper understanding and you know about what was going on and such I wanted to also make a point that you had talked about was when people around you commit suicide when when kids are involved and there's Mm -hmm. somebody else that commits suicide then it sort of becomes an an epidemic within the copycat stuff my sister is a middle school counselor and they know that all hands are on deck when one of their 12 or 13 year olds take their life and sadly it does happen because there can be and there has been a little epidemic and when one child does it one or two so Mm -hmm. parents please understand that if one child in your child's school takes their life please and take time to sit down with your child and talk with them them about where they are. Talk with them honestly. Don't Mm -hmm. try to cover up and say that this child died of an accidental overdose because they are going to hear that it was suicide and they will be, they may be triggered into doing that. So please just, just be honest and open. Tell us about the this book. book that you oh, read I, yeah, I did. I did a lot of reading, of course. You know, just try to understand. And I did find at the time a book called *Night Falls Fast* by Kay Redfield Jameson. It was published back in 1999, but it still it was so helpful. And it goes everything from you know, kind of more clinical stuff and statistics, which are now, of course, old right. and have worsened. Right. But I, it just helped me to just kind of get underneath and get out of the taboo thing and get out of the shame side mm-hmm. and just to give compassion to him and to myself right. and just to maybe understand a little bit about what might have led to his suicide and also understand the aftermath of what's left behind for survivors. So I highly recommend Night Falls Fast by Kay Redfield Jameson. I'm going to put this in our show notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and we are we have gone a little bit long today from what we normally do, which is totally fine because oh, thank you. there's no there's no set time of how long our podcast should be. So well, and I'm there's so no glad. there's no end. Yeah. There's no pretty bow to wrap up suicide no, no, and suicide. This is this yeah. we could talk probably but another two hours. We on absolutely more. could. Yeah, and you right. and I are supposed to go do that at some point. Yeah, I know. We're, we're still going to bottle We're supposed to get to <laughs> that. Yeah, the yeah, a, date. a bottle We're of wine, about huh? still honoring him musically, and that would be yeah. great. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think because that's he, important. He was an extraordinary guitar player, yes. and so we've been, we have, we've talked about somehow trying to do... Get yeah, some, some tracks up that yeah. they've been working on, yeah, never, and I think I'm ready now. See, I, I wanted to get bring that home really quick, that it takes time to heal, and yeah. now I can listen to his music, I can speak about him, I can look at his yeah. photo and not just well, feel destroyed. And you, you know. you've been beautiful today, by the way, Aww. just in everything you've said Thank in this whole both. conversation, and your openness and willingness to talk about it, and so... Um, Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very, very much. Um, I just want to say that um, if you are 
or you know somebody who is in trouble in this kind of way, you can call uh, 988 is a suicide and crisis line. Or you can also text the word TALK, I believe, to 741741. 741741, okay, good to know. And you can, I believe, chat or, and if you call 988, you'll get right to a human to talk to somebody on that that line. So, um, Yeah, um, they do good work. And I don't want anybody to think not to try to for themselves or someone else. If you can, get through to a live person or text them. A lot of younger people want to text or do a chat. And there are sources out there. Being open and talking about this is what the number one thing we need to keep doing. Take yeah. it out of the taboo to yeah. being, yeah. try to grapple with a horribly, obviously difficult thing. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad you've said the term more often than not, take one's life or end one's life. Um, sometimes I'll accidentally say commit suicide, but the idea used to be considered like a almost like a criminal act. Yeah. Right. You commit murder. Which is yeah. why also yeah. the Christian side it of it has that. been so negative. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. to take it away, to make it become they've taken or ended their life yeah. and to understand and give compassion to that person, to those left behind, I think yeah. is where we, I think we got to that today. Yeah, I think we did. So thank you again, Kate, very much. Thank Liz, you. I'll see you next week. See you next week, Deb. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>